Welcome again to Grace Hills Church. It's the opportunity to, to look at God's word again. And, and we're in the book of Exodus, which is an exciting book because it's all about God's way out for his people. And, and really, as you think about that, as we think about what God has done, is doing, and will do, that's, that's something we should never forget. That, that's the title of the message this morning, never forget, never forget. I guess in a positive way, you could say, remember, remember, remember. You know, what we have a tendency to do, however, we have a tendency to forget the things we ought to remember and remember the things we, we ought to forget. You know, one thing you should never forget if you're married, you should never forget your wife's birthday or your anniversary. If you're, if you're single, you should never forget your mom's birthday. And for that matter, you shouldn't forget my birthday because I'll take presents from anybody. But as you think about it, we all have uh, things in our life that we, uh, we, we focus on, even nationally. On July 4th, we, we celebrate Independence Day, and that's a day to celebrate, uh, unless you're from England or Great Britain. Uh, and then as you think about that, we also celebrate the Alamo, and, and that's a defeat that was used to disperse onto victory. In Israel, they'll remember Masada, or they'll remember the Holocaust, and, and the idea there is they'll, they'll, they'll say as they remember that or they don't forget it, they'll say, never again, never again. And, and what we're going to talk about today is the Passover, and the Passover is a, an event in the life of God's people in the Old Testament that speaks to people of, of any age because it's God's faithfulness to his people and, and giving a way out in the midst of being under bondage. And, and so we're going to try to understand that for our lives in a symbolic way as we look at the, the Seder meal that is celebrated by Jewish people around the world, but also even Christians as well will take these elements and remember God's goodness and faithfulness, not only in the time of Exodus, but also in the time of Jesus, and also as you look forward to the future. And as we think about that, that how that all begins is, 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 is you remember what God wants you to not forget. You got to prepare yourself. In fact, every time you come in a place of worship or being around God's people and trying to learn from the living one who, who has given us everything, we need to prepare ourselves to listen to him. And as they would experience the Seder meal, and the word Seder means order, the order of meal to remember the Passover, uh, they would prepare themselves. Personally, they would look to see if there's anything wrong in their life or, or some things that needed to be made right, so they were prepared to listen to God and what he had to say to them. Also, they would prepare their homes. They would take every leaven, every piece of leaven out of their houses because leaven has a tendency to influence and, and, and change things. You put leaven in dough and it makes it rise. And, and some things that are wrong in our life, we allow them to stay within our life. Those, those things that are not good for us will become a habit and those habits will become just part of who our character is and it will destroy that which is within us. And so God wants to deal with the wrong that is in our life. And so we, we need to get the leaven out of our lives so we can hear him. But as that particular day would start, it would be starting with both the father and the mother taking a lead. Now, the father was usually the, the oldest one in the, in, the, in the home, and sometimes he would put on a thing called the kittle, and I don't have a kittle here. A kittle is a, a white cotton robe. This is a, a talit, which is a, basically a prayer shawl, and there's a particular way to put this on, and we won't take the time to show how that is put on, but as it's put on, eventually it gets to the place where it becomes a shawl, and the shawl is a place where you remember that you under, you're under God's provision and you ought to be praying faithfully and honestly to him. Often when they would do this, sometimes they would put it over their head to symbolize they're under his authority. 
Other times they would have a particular hat, and there's a particular hat that they would wear, a miter uh, for the Orthodox Jews. And some would just simply put on, and many of you are aware of this, uh, this is a yarmulke or a, a kippah, and it would be a simple hat put on. Uh, some would be a little bit bigger covering your, your big head like mine. And, and as you think about why, why did the men do that? Why did, they, why did they put coverings over their head? Because, again, it was symbolic. In the midst of, as they did life, they wanted to remember they're under God's authority. And they're not really the one who is the head, the one who is in charge. God is. And so they would prepare themselves, and the father, the oldest father or the grandfather would take the lead. But he wouldn't begin the Seder meal. What he would do is he would prepare the family around the table and reclining. And all of a sudden, the oldest woman... and. If we were in an open room right now, we would ask for volunteers, but I don't know if that would be a healthy thing for me to do, to ask the oldest woman to come up here. But the oldest woman would come, and she would come to the candles, the candlesticks, and she would light the candles. And as she lit the candles, it was for a particular purpose, a purpose to remember just who God is. And as we think about remembering, what's most important to remember is, is that God is light, in fact, the Bible says, and in whom there is no darkness at all. There's a special word used of the light or the glory of God in the Old Testament, though it's not really particularly in the Old Testament, the specific word, but it's called the Shekinah glory. The word Shekinah means the dwelling. In the, in the midst where God dwells, God's light, his glory is manifested, and he is unlike no one else, that no one can compare to him. And so as they began this time, remember, they needed to remember, first of all, just who God is and, and what is he and who is he. He is light. He is glorious. He is way beyond all that we are. And, and so they would begin the time with a, a lighting of the candle, bringing in the presence and dwelling of God, and then there would be a, a word of, of praise. And just reading this praise in the Hebrew for a moment Baruch Atah Adonai Elhenu Malek Alhalam Ashir Kirishanu Bimit Shatovav Vitshanu Lahelik Nir Sheel Yom Tov. And translate that means, Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with thy commandments and commanded us to kindle the festival of lights. It's interesting that word festival of lights really comes from Yom Tov, which in the Hebrew simply means good day. And so as they look back at the Passover, something they, they did not want to forget, should not forget, to always remember, they wanted to remember the good day. And hopefully you have a good day with the living God, that you can look back to a time where, where maybe you didn't know God, but now you know him because you've encountered him in a personal way. And that's what Jesus is all about, inviting us into a relationship with him that lasts forever, that's eternal as well as abundant. And so as they began this time of remembrance, they, they marked it as a, as a day that they ought to bless. And remember, it's a festival of lights day. It is, a, it is a good day. So it began with the lighting of candles by the woman who brought in. And the woman was significant because it was through the woman in which the, the promised Messiah would come. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, it says that out of the seed of the woman, the evil one's head would be crushed. And so all of God's people, we're looking forward to that time when the one who was promised to come would deal with the evil that's in the world. In the midst of all that we'll go through today, and we're going to try to do it in a timely way, 
There are, there are four cups that will kind of summarize what we're going to be sharing today. As they were called to remember, and some of the details of this, it's called the Haggadah, the Haggadah, and it's often put in a little booklet form in which uh, Jewish people or people who want to observe the traditional Seder would have a, a, a telling of the story. That's what the word means, a telling of the story in ways that would be allowing them to focus specifically about what happened and the significance of what happened and what does that mean now for us to live in the light of God giving us a way out and setting us free. But if you were to summarize all that went on in terms of remembering the Passover, there were four cups, and I have four cups right here on the table. And each of these cups represents something that was significant for them to remember. The, the first cup is the cup of sanctification. Now, that's a fancy word uh, that's used in the Bible, and it simply means that that's, that's sta- stating about God setting us apart or setting something that he has done apart or causing us to think about those things that are really holy and are important. And, and so they would begin the day with thinking about the cup of sanctification. And as they think about being set apart, they recognize again that they were not, they were not worthy to be in the presence of God. And really, there's two types of people in this world. There are people who think they don't need God. They're good enough on their own. And then there are people who feel that they aren't good enough for God even to to want to have a relationship with with him. And the reality is that God wants to know everyone. And he's inviting us all to know him. And if we've got so much pride that we think we don't need him, then then we've got to clean up. We've got to prepare our hearts to, to, to listen to him. And if we think that somehow that we don't deserve for him to speak into our lives because we're, we've done so many things that are wrong, God says, look, at my grace and my mercy is sufficient to forgive anyone for whatever they've ever done. But as they began this time of remembrance, they would have children go around and they would take a, a, a bowl with cloths uh, to uh, be prepared for what's going to happen next. And then they would take a pitcher, a pitcher of water, and they would start with the Father, and then they would go around the table, and they would pour water into the hands of everyone, and they would, they would wash them, rinse them, and then they would take a towel from the basin and wipe it, and then they were, then they were prepared to be in the presence of God. There's an image in the, in the, the book of Psalms where it says that when we come into the presence of God, we come into the presence of God with clean hands. That kind of sounds like our day in which we're called to wash our hands consistently. And we, we need to count to 22 or 25 seconds be, before we are din, uh, done lathering up our hands. And, and what he's talking about here is not talking about having clean physical hands, but clean hands spiritually. That as we come into the presence of God, we're, we're not holding on to that sin virus in our life. That we're giving it to him and asking for him to clean, cleanse us. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to cleanse us from our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He forgives us and he cleanses us. So as they began that day of remembrance, they they took one cup, and it was the cup of of sanctification. And and what they would do is that they would would pour uh, grape juice or wine into it, and they would would fill it to the the brim. They would fill it almost overflowing because as they thought of the goodness of God, it's overflowing. And then everyone would partake of the cup and remember that God's goodness is beyond uh, measurement, that we have more than we can imagine how good God is. But as they continue about that, they recognize that as, as God is good, uh, that we need to remember that though, though God is good, doesn't mean life is always easy. 
And so they, they, they would go into what's called the Seder plate, the order plate, and they would, they would take out some things, and what they would take out was what's called carpus or the greens. And then the greens, as you think about that, and we are in the springtime of year, uh, when things start to bloom, we, we think of life or new life. And so they were celebrating that life that, that God had given us and given them. But then they recognized that even though they had life, and God was going to rescue them, that it was not going to be easy. And so they would take the greens or the parsley and, and recognize that this would also be an, an instrument by which they would apply uh, the sacrifice, the blood to their lives, to the doorposts of their, of their homes. They, they would dip it in salt water. And salt water with the greens would be something that would cause them, as they ate it, and everyone would eat it, would even produce a tear in their, in their eyes, recognizing in the midst of life where God is good, that life sometimes is bitter, and remembered all the suffering they had when they were under bondage with the people uh, of Egypt, the Pharaoh being over them. Also recognizing even later on as they de- were delivered, as they went to the Red Sea, that the salt water represented the salt, saltiness of the Red Sea. And though it provided life for some, it provided death for others. And we need to recognize that's what happens in life. As we think about our lives, that sometimes it goes through bitter times. And sometimes uh, this bitterness brings this, the, even death into our home. And yet if we have the giver of life, that we can be brought through whatever we go through in terms of the challenges of life. And then after they experienced that, they had a word of blessing. And the word of blessing was repeated over and over again. In fact, during the Seder meal, we're so used in our experience that if we sit down for a meal, and hopefully this is a habit of your home, is that you, you say grace, or you say a blessing, or you say a word of prayer thanking God for the food. Well, throughout the Seder meal, they would give a blessing over and over and over again. And just giving a blessing in the English, not reading the Hebrew, blessed art thou, O Lord, our God of the universe creator of the fruit of the earth. And so they remember in the midst of suffering and having new life uh, that God is the one who gives blessing. And as they continue, they they recognize that there is another part of the story that they needed to remember. And, And this particular, I guess you could call a a bag or a covering, there are three matzah breads in this particular bag. There's, a, there's three levels, uh, a top level, a middle level, and a, a bottom level. And in it, there's matzah. And I have a matzah right in front of you, and this matzah is used in the celebration of it because it's unleavened. And unleavened, as we break it, what would happen in this matzah toss, as they would say it, they would take the middle um, piece of matzah, break it in half or in some kind of division, and then they would take a, a napkin and then they would hide it in the napkin. I've already done that. And then they would send someone, or maybe the father would go and hide it in the room so no one can see it. And later on he said, I'm going to send the children to go find this particular uh, matzah, and you would call it saying the afakomen, which means hidden or needed to be revealed. But as you think about what, what matzah is, matzah is that which can give sustenance, but it's not particularly tasty. 
It doesn't have the leaven. It, it's, not, it's not particularly desirable. But part of that illustrated, again, what they were going through on that first uh, celebration of Passover. And sometimes they would eat it throughout the religious part or the spiritual part of the Seder. And then they would go to Scripture, and they would read the account of what happened to the people of Israel when they were in Egypt. And just reading from it, it begins this way. Now the Lord said, this is Exodus chapter 12, to Moses and Aaron to the land of Egypt. This month shall be the beginning of months to you. It is to be the first month of the year to you. Which is kind of amazing. This Passover changed everything. Their calendar was changed. It's like saying, okay, we're not going to begin the new year in January. We're going, to, we're going to begin in April. And that's what he did because this day was so significant. Their whole nation was being rebirthed and saying, this is going to be the first month of your new year. Speak to all the congregation of Israel saying, on the 10th of this month, they are each one to take a lamb for themselves according to their father's household, a lamb for each household. Now, if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his neighbor nearest to his house are to take one according to the number of persons in them. According to what each man should eat, you are to divide the lamb. And so they, they were in community, but they were doing it within homes. Your lamb shall be an unblemished male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. And so this particular goat or, or lamb was to be a particular age, one year old, but particularly it was to be unblemished. It had to be in the sense of looking at it, a perfect lamb. And they were to bring it in their home for four days. And I don't know if you've had uh, children in your home that maybe receive a pet, whether it's a dog or a cat or a bird or, or a... In our, in our house, we didn't have a whole lot of pets, but we did have goldfish. And, um, and that goldfish lasted a lot longer than the dad wanted it to last. But all of a sudden, that, that little goldfish became a, a part of the family. And just imagine, as they were to give up that lamb for a moment, in a few days, it was now no longer just some animal that was to be slaughtered for food, but it was part of the family. Your lamb shall be an unblemished male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to kill it at twilight. It's interesting about twilight. Twilight is right about 3 o'clock. Josephus says that in some of his writings uh, a few years after Jesus was crucified. And as he puts it at 3 o'clock, that would have been the exact time Jesus went to the cross, uh, just picturing the Passover lamb that was given for the people of God during the days of Exodus. Moreover, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that came night, roasted with fire, and they shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. And we're going to be looking at that, and we've already tasted the bitter herbs. But as you think about that, the unleavened bread um, was part, again, of their remembrance, that no leaven should be part of this remembrance of what God was doing. It should be um, marking them that that sin had to be atoned for, had to be paid for. And the blood that was put on the homes was symbolic of the blood of the one who was promised to come that would be applied to our sin. Do not eat any of the raw or boiled at all with water, but rather roasted with fire, both its head and its legs, along with its entrails. And you should not leave any of it over until morning. But whatever is left of it until morning, you shall burn with fire. 
Then you shall eat it in this manner, with your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. And the Lord's Passover, in case you're not fully aware of what that is symbolizing, it's when God passed over his people for their sin, and instead of bringing them death, which the Bible says, for the wages of sin is death, um, the payment, the just payment for our sin, but because the blood was applied to their homes, the blood symbolizing by the, the lamb, God would pass over them and not give them judgment. For I go through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord." The blood shall be a sign for you on the house where you live. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Now this day will be a memorial to you, and you shall celebrate as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations, you are to celebrate it as a permanent ordinance. It's something we should never forget. We should always remember. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, but on the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses. For whoever eats anything leavened from this first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. I would encourage you to read the next 15 verses. And within that passage, it speaks about not only was this memorial going to be for God's chosen people, Israel, but any of the Egyptians who would be brought into the, the family of faith in Israel, they could remember this memorial as well as God's provision for them when the blood was applied to their life and they were set free. And so as we think about it, this is for them to look back when God preserved and gave them a way out by applying the blood of the lamb for their lives. And so after they read the passage, as the father would read um, Exodus chapter 12, they went on and they continued to remember uh, what that significance of that day was. But there, was, there were questions that were posed. And one of the children would pose these questions. Why is this night so different from all other nights? And as you think about those who had not experienced the Passover firsthand, a year from then and a year from after that and maybe 10 years or decades down the road, they would think about this significant remembrance of what happened on that Passover. And so why is this so special? Why are we making such a big deal about it with this meal? And why for seven days are we eating unleavened bread? And it reminded them that when they applied the blood to the, the house that they were needed to be prepared to leave quickly because if they were set free, they were to go right then. And so these were the questions. On all other nights, we eat bread with leaven. On this night, why do we eat only matzah? On, on all other nights, we eat all kinds of vegetables. On this night, why do we eat only bitter herbs? On all other nights, we never think of dipping herbs in water or in anything else. Why on this night do we dip the parsley in salt water? On all other nights, we eat either sitting or reclining. On this night, why do we eat only reclining? And then the father in the home, the leader of the, the Seder, the order of the service, he would read the answer, the traditional answer. We were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt, and God brought us out with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. And if God had not brought out Ancestors, our ancestors out of Egypt, we and our children and our children's children would still be subjugated to Pharaoh in Egypt. Even if we were old and wise and learned in the Torah, the law of God, the written law of God, we would still be commanded to tell the story, the Exodus from Egypt. 
And so then they proceeded to say, what, what was it that caused God to set them free, give them a way out? And how did he do that? Well, that brings us to the, the second cup. And this is the cup of plagues. And the cup of plagues, and some call it the cup of judgment, this is when God's wrath is poured out on Egypt, trying to rescue them, and they keep saying no, no, no from Pharaoh's perspective. Then each one of the plagues, they were progressive in nature, and we looked at them last uh, Lord's Day. They were a reminder that if you don't listen to God, there are consequences. We have choices, but when we make the wrong choices, there are consequences. And so they would pour this particular cup, not to the brim, because this is not a cup of praise, but a cup of judgment or plagues. And then they would remember all the plagues that were given to Pharaoh and his people. And then they would dip their finger into the, uh, the cup, and one by one, they would drop a, a drop of the, the wine or the grape juice in memory of the, the dropping of, in a sense, a blood judgment against the people of Israel, a people of Egypt. And whether it was the Nile turning red, blood red, or whether it was the frogs or the, the gnats or the flies, or as you think about the, the pestilence that was sent that took all the livestock or the hail or the locusts or spreading throughout the land the darkness that only God could produce in a land filled with sun, the, the sun God raw and showing his power of that. And then the last plague the plague of taking the firstborn son. And each of those were filled with the wrath of God, but also God's heart being broken because people would not listen to him. And as Pharaoh hardened his heart, God hardened Pharaoh's heart as well, and he would not listen. And during that, it's reminded in the time of the judgments or the plagues of God that it was the Lamb of God, and they would pull out the, the shank or the bone, the shank bone of, of the Lamb, and remember that it was through the, the sacrifice of a beloved animal in the home that preserved them and, and gave them a way out. And, and then there'd be another ceremonial washing, and they would again go around and they would pour water in everybody's hands because they recognized that each one of them was undeserving unless they would come to God's presence with clean hands. Just belonging to the nation of Israel was not enough. It, it, it took a, an application of, of God's provision for them, for them to be rescued and given a way out. And, and then there would be a, another blessing, and, and that blessing would be in such where, again, they would remember that, that God was the one who provided for them. One blessing that brings in the fullness of God for giving us a way out. Truly we can say hallelujah for the great redemption that God has brought us on our, our behalf. Redemption at a terrible price. In Egypt, the death of the firstborn for us. Redemption from sin and the death, not only of the lamb, but of God's son. And then looking ahead, it's that, that promise for God so loved us that he gave his only begotten son, the lamb of God. As John the Baptist saw Jesus, he said, behold, the lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. For God so loved us that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And so after they remembered the, the lamb that was shed for them, the, the blood that was applied to their, their building, and as they washed their hands, recognizing they need to be cleansed, they again uh, gave um, remembrance of, 
Uh, they needed to be always ready for what God wanted them to do next. And so they would continue to eat the matzah bread, recognizing it, it did not have time to be waited for to, to rise or be raised in the ovens, but they had to partake of it at that moment. And then they recognized that God's plan reminded them of the, the challenge they had during their time in the land when they were enslaved. And they were told by Pharaoh that they had to make bricks and, and they had to put the mortar together. And, and, and as they thought about that, it, it brought both a reminder that life is filled not only with bitterness, but, but also with, with sweetness. And so they would, they would take of, the, of the, the bread and the bitter and the herb, and they would put it almost like into a sandwich and recognize that, that God brings both the bitter and, and the sweet, but eventually that God would preserve us and that he would set us free. So after eating the bitter herbs, and then they remembered again that, that God is the one who provides and there was one other illustration in the midst of what they were thinking about, particularly after Jesus came and the temple was destroyed. There is the roasted egg. And they recognized from now on they could not go into the temple and sacrifice. And that they would be remembered that this would be bitter and they would break the egg. And they would eat of it, recognizing that they could only look ahead to the Messiah they would hope would, would come. And they hadn't come to that place where they trusted that he had already come. And so as you think about the story of the, of, the, of the Passover and calling us to remind what has happened, we recognize that, that God brings us through the challenges of life, but he, he provides. He is the way out. And whether they're experiencing the bitterness of life and, the, and the, the endurance of going through difficult times, that he would bring that one who would provide for them. And it's pictured in the, the land that was slain. And as they partook not only of the bitterness, but also they would put even horseradish on that to remember that he would also bring tears to the remembrance of what they had gone through. But as you went from the, the cup of sanctification, setting us apart for him, and, and the cup of plagues, remembering the, the judgments that came, then there came the blessed cup, and this is called the cup of redemption, and the redemption is all about recognizing that God is the one who ultimately is the only one that can provide a way out. And as he, as he gave a way out for us, he is the one who will allow us to be set free. Now, in the midst of all that, the, the father would say, we need to find the afakomen, which is that which is hidden and revealed. And so he would send out his children to find that. And, and one would find it, and when he would bring back the afakomen, uh, to the father, he would get a prize or reward, maybe money or some chocolate, and they would continue on celebrating uh, what had happened in the past. But as you think about that, the Afikoman symbolizes uh, so clearly what Jesus is. In the midst of Jesus being taken out from the middle compartment of the bag in which the matzo was put, it's, it's like Jesus being taken out of the tomb. He was hidden when he came back to life. And as Jesus was with his disciples, right before he went to the cross, in the Last Supper, uh, what's called the communion, the time of remembrance and, and the time of fellowship, or the Eucharist, which is the time of being favored by God, he took the third cup, the cup of redemption, and he said, I want you to know that this, 
This bread, which we remember God setting his people free from the bondage of slavery and the bondage of being under the heavy hand of, of, of Pharaoh, that this bread represents my body, which is given for you. This represents what I'm going to do on the cross and paying the price for your sins. And so Jesus, what Jesus did on the night before he went to the cross, he, he redefined all of what the Seder meal is all about. He's saying that the promised one has come, and that promised one is Jesus. And so when we partake of communion, when we partake of a remembrance of what Jesus did, it's remembered that he sacrificed on our behalf. And then later on, we know, obviously, that he took the cup. And he took the cup, and we would pour that in the, the cup of redemption. And he said, what is in this cup will represent my blood, which is shed for you. And the Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And so as we think back at the the remembrance of the Passover, never forgetting that God has been faithful in the past. He delivered his people out of bondage. He delivered his people out of slavery. He delivered his people out of of being under the oppressive hand of a a world ruler. That that's only a temporary temporary deliverance. But when Jesus came, he set us free from sin. And and that's a challenge for us to remember. This pictures all that what God can do. There's one other cup. And this is the cup of praise. And the cup of praise is that for which we can give praise to God because of how good he is and that we can look forward to even better days. No matter what we're going through now, God has a better plan for us in the future. But you know, in the story of the Seder meal, there's, there's one other cup. It's called the Elijah cup. And the Elijah cup uh, is part of the experience. And they would, they would at, at the, toward the end of the meal, they would, they would look to the children and say, well, Who's this cup for? And they would say, well, it's, it's for Elijah. Well, we'll go to outside and, and see if Elijah's at the door. And, and they would all go out and they would, they would scream, Elijah, Elijah. And then they would come back and say, Elijah has not come. But what we know is, is when Jesus was here and John the Baptist was here, Jesus said that Elijah was seen in, in the ministry of John the Baptist. And so when we think about that, Elijah has come and the Messiah has come. He has come to deliver us from our sin. You know, as we think about this, and we're just going to close in a few minutes, but as we think about what God has done, we need to recognize that all that he has promised has been filled in Jesus. And when we think of the parallels in the Haggadah, which is the, the telling of the story of the Old Testament, it's, it's really pictured in, in what Jesus did for us, making some analogies. You know, when we think about the people of Israel, they, they were all slaves in Egypt. And when we think about us, we're all slaves to our own sin. When we think about God sending to deliver for the people of Israel during the time of Exodus, he sent Moses. But when we think about God's ultimate deliverer, it's found in Jesus. When we think about God's justice having to be satisfied because of the sin of rejection and rebellion of Pharaoh, that God's wrath and satisfaction had to be satisfied through Jesus taking on our sin and paying the price for us. When we think that the people of Israel, they had, they had to apply the blood to their homes, to their life. And the warning was given, if you don't apply the blood to your life, to your homes, then the angel of death, the angel of judgment will come upon your home and upon your life. And, and that's true for us as well. If we don't apply what Jesus did to our lives, then we can know everything about Jesus. We can know this book really well. But if, if we haven't received him and applied his blood to our lives, we're still in our sins and judgment will come in. We need to recognize that 
that is when we apply it, we apply it not to the doorposts of our house, but we apply it to our hearts and to our lives. We submit to him. And then we think about the promise. When, when, when death came to those who had put their faith in God's promise to them, then they, they were delivered and saved from the judgment that, would, that happened to the people of Egypt when they suffered the death of the firstborn. And when we think about applying the blood of Jesus to our lives, that, that we're forgiven and we're forgiven forever. And so when we think about just summarizing, this is all what God had done. And in the cup of sanctification, it, it really is mirrored in Exodus chapter 6, 6 through 8. When we think about the cup of sanctification, it's, it's God fulfilling his I will promises. I will bring you out from under the burdens of Egypt. I will take you from my people and I will be your God. The cup of plagues, it stayed in such a way that I will... I will rescue you with great judgments. In the cup of redemption, I will redeem you with an outstretched hand. In a cup of praise, I will bring you to the land of promise. In the midst of an unknown reality that we're in, the Bible says, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am, there you may be also. Also, and when, when Jesus made that statement, then he just said this. He said, I want you to know I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And so when we think about what's the so what of remembering what God wants us to never forget is that God has been faithful in the past as we think about the passing over of sin of God's people, just like the people of, of Egypt. They were, they, were, they were equally sinners, but they had put their trust and faith in the one who could preserve them, save them, rescue them. And as we look back at Jesus, Jesus gave the same offer. It's not a matter about what race you belong to, but but where are you putting your trust and faith? And so I just want to urge all of us is the 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 challenge for us, the so what is uh, what is it what is it that's really important that we need to remember? Where is our trust? Where is our faith in the midst of a of a world gone wrong and in a world where we have more questions than answers? Where are we putting our trust? For God's people, we want to, we re, want to remain faithful and, and believing that God has a plan and, and we can trust him no matter what the outcome I am because we know what our future has for us. And, and if we don't know him, it's, it's, what's most important is putting our trust in the one who can deliver us from our greatest fears. Let's look to him in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be with you and to think about what you've done in the past. Help us to remember that these symbols just represent your faithfulness and what you've done. But we also look at what you did in Jesus and what you're going to promise to do for us in the future. Help us to trust in you always. And we praise in Jesus' name. Amen.